Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, and I'd like to welcome you to the Chosen People radio program. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Leviticus. Now I hope you read it because you don't want to go to heaven, meet Moses walking along the streets paved with gold, and he says, so how did you like Leviticus, you know? And I wouldn't want to face him without having read it and studied it. I think Leviticus is really one of the most valuable books of the Bible, and you can't understand the holiness of God without understanding Leviticus. You can't understand your own sin without Leviticus, and you can't understand the importance of blood atonement without understanding Leviticus. And so we're going to learn how we should approach a holy God. And joining me is my good friend and colleague, Bobby Walter, who leads our Brooklyn branch. So welcome, Bobby. Glad you're here with us today because you know a lot about Leviticus, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Thank God. You know, I've had the chance to really dig in a bit to Leviticus. Shalom and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on The Chosen People. Just by way of reminder, Mitch, we're going through the Torah portion right? And how we're, we're sort of tapping into the, the lectionary cycle that the wider Jewish community is on. Uh, because every week in synagogues, the Jewish world is reading a segment from the first five books of Moses. Right. Uh, and in one year, the entire community will go through the whole first five books. So we thought it would be good to, you know, do the same thing. And at the same time, look at the companion texts found in the prophets and the writings. And then on top of that, add in the New Testament text as well. So we can see the the gospel significance in these important portions of scripture. You know, there's a little hidden element in here too, because at Chosen People Ministries, our heart longs for the salvation of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And I know that many of you listening today among our brothers and sisters that some of you have Jewish friends and associates, and you're just looking for various ways to build common ground and to reach them with the good news of the Messiah. And this is one of the reasons we're going through these five books of Moses. We want you to have common ground with Jewish people. Not every Jewish person goes to synagogue, obviously. But, you know, you could put it this way. It's a nice way of putting it without presuming that someone's either going or not going to synagogue and just say, well, I understand that in the synagogue, this portion of the Torah, the five books of Moses is read. And I read it too. And I actually heard some people speak about it. And uh, I'm wondering, can I ask you a question or two about it? Because you're Jewish and you might help me understand it better. Oh, that's a sucker punch no Jewish person can resist, you know? And so you just honored them and put them in the position of being your rabbi. So it's, it's a great way to approach a Jewish person. So don't lose that opportunity because we're now giving you one additional tool to help you share the Messiah with your Jewish friends. Right, Bobby? Absolutely. And we've done this in our ministry in Brooklyn. Uh, every summer, we have a mission trip called Shalom New York, where we bring in teams of, of Christians from different churches around the country, around the world, and we provide training for you in, in how to reach out to the Jewish people. And then we spend the majority of our time out on the streets of New York sharing the gospel. And one of the things that we've done is we've set up book tables with a, uh, a whiteboard sign, and we'll write a leading question from that week's Torah portion to try to engage with the Jewish people who are passing by. So I remember one year, Deuteronomy 18 happened to be the the weekly portion that week. So our conversations and our whiteboards were all centered around this prophet like Moses. Mm -hmm. And it led to so many good conversations about Jesus. 
That's that's wonderful. So, Bobby, uh, let's take advantage of your leading a Messianic congregation in Brooklyn, the true Holy Land, of course, Mm -hmm. and uh, with your spending a lot of time each week on the Torah portion. So over the years, you've, I'm sure, looked at the Leviticus 9 through 11 pretty carefully. Why don't you just give us a good summary? What are the, what's it all about? And what are some of the major points and maybe even a, a couple of the important lessons that we can learn from Leviticus 9, 10, and 11? Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this has honestly become like one of my favorite portions of Leviticus because what we find when we come to Leviticus chapter 9, so much preparation has taken place. And I almost think of it like an assembly line. You know how a, a car is built on the assembly line, right? So the last chapters of the book of Exodus, we have all these details given for the tabernacle, the kinds of materials to use, the measurements, everything, all the details, all the instructions. And then the tabernacle is constructed, it's put together. You, we get to Leviticus, the early chapter. Chapters, and we have all the details about the sacrifices, what they're for, what they should be, you know, uh, how they are to be offered, the reason that they're offered, and all of that, right? All the instructions and everything is being prepared. Right. And then when we get to Leviticus chapter 8, God begins to focus on preparing the priests who are almost like the ones who are going to sit in the car and drive it. Right? So the tabernacle is the vehicle, the sacrifices are the fuel, and now the priesthood is actually going to turn the key in the ignition and begin driving. And that's what we find in Leviticus chapter 9. Moses begins to prepare Aaron and his sons for this special service. And one thing that really stands out to me right, in Leviticus chapter 9 is that as Moses is giving Aaron all of these instructions on how he is supposed to prepare as the high priest, there's a constant refrain that comes up. Five times it's mentioned in Leviticus 9. Uh, and it's said in different ways sometimes, but it's the, the gist of it is the same, that Aaron is supposed to do everything just as the Lord has commanded, or just as Moses commanded, or just as the Lord commanded Moses, right? So everything was supposed to be done according to God's exclusive one-way instructions, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. In Leviticus 9, verse 5, 6, 7, 10, and 21, again, we see this refrain. And then we get to the very end of Leviticus chapter 9, and Aaron has now offered the first sacrifices in the tabernacle. It's like the the key has been placed into the ignition, and the car is running, and now it's driving off the assembly line, and these sacrifices are beginning to take place, uh, you know, in, in the camp of Israel. Keep going, Bobby. We're almost getting excited about the book of Leviticus, okay. which is fantastic. And our listeners are waiting with bated breath to walk our way through the rest of it, because when you give it over to me, I'm going to talk about kosher and unkosher food. So this is really good. So keep yeah. going. Well, that's a lot of fun, too. But all right. So the last <laughs> few verses in chapter nine, Aaron, he offers the sacrifices. He comes out of the tent of meeting. And then we read in verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, and this is the big part, right? This is the big reveal. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So God's presence showed up in the camp, in the midst of his people. And, you know, really, when we think about it, that's a big part of the gospel message. That's a big part of of God's overarching plan for Israel and the nations and all creation. God desires to be with us. 
God desires for us to be in his presence. And what we learn from the tabernacle is that it's only through the shedding of innocent blood on behalf of us to cover our sins, to cleanse our sins, uh, that makes it possible for us to be in his presence. Now, as the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, verse 24, it gets, it gets even more like vivid. It mm. says, then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Mm. So what we learn from this is that a valid substitution was made in the place of Aaron and the people. Those animal sacrifices were made just as the Lord commanded. And when God's presence showed up, the way that the people were actually able to be in God's presence was only because the substitution was made for them, because God's consuming, wrathful fire came forth from the presence of the Lord and consumed not the sinner, but instead the substitution. Oh, and so it's the substitution that that's so important. Exactly, exactly. And we continue learning this because right after this happens, when we get into Leviticus chapter 10, we have a prime example of what happens if we try to create our own path to approach God's presence. Right. If we try to approach God's presence in a way that he has not commanded, then that's with Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu. So what do they do? Well, we, we read in Leviticus 10 verse 1. Now Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. And this is the key part of the verse here when we look at it in the wider context of Leviticus 9. It says, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So everything that we've been reading about what Aaron's been doing and what Moses had been doing up to this point, they've been doing it as the Lord commanded. But now Nadav and Avihu, they step outside those prescribed bounds that God has given and they offer up fire. And, you know, we don't know exactly what it was, this strange fire, but whatever it was, they offered it in a way that God had not commanded. And what happens? Well, it's, it's actually the reverse of what happens at the end of chapter 9, verse 2, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, this is just like what we've read in, in Leviticus 9. The same consuming, wrathful fire of God came from the very same place, the presence of the Lord, only this time there was no substitute. The fire came from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So, God has laid out this exclusive path for us for how we can approach him. And to step outside of that path and try to approach him in another way, it's very, very dangerous. So again, I've made the point uh, before for our audience, and I hope that you're going to find this not just interesting, but really encouraging. Uh, some people say that uh, who object to our preaching the gospel, particularly modern, more secular people, and a lot of Jewish people are more modern, more secular, and they say, you can't tell us that there's only one way to God. I mean, so exclusive. How could you be so exclusive? You're prejudiced against other people. I mean, you need to be more open-minded. You're a dinosaur, you know? <laughs> and, and the real answer to that is, well, well, you know what? We didn't invent one way to God. In fact, and I love telling Jewish people this, that was more Moses than Jesus mm -hmm. in many ways because God revealed from Sinai a very particular way to come into his presence. He wants us to come into his presence, but the problem is, is that we're sinners. And we need to be cleansed from our sin because God is holy and we're not. And the path to forgiveness is through the shed blood of the sacrifice 
who is a substitute for us. In other words, in Leviticus 17.11, we'll read that later, that God has given the blood on the altar to make atonement for our souls, to make atonement, covering. That covering, that atonement, enables God to look at us uh, without holding our sin against us. And so there's only one way in the Old Testament to the Father, and that's through the sacrificial system. And that's one way. And, and not only that, you couldn't sacrifice anywhere else but in the tabernacle or in the temple. And if you did, then you were judged just like Saul was judged, and, and we'll see others. And so this one way to the Father is as much an Old Testament doctrine or even more an Old Testament doctrine than the New Testament. So the fact that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me in John 14, 6, that is entirely consistent with the teaching of the Old Testament. There's only one big difference, and that is you don't have to go to a physical temple or a physical tabernacle, and you don't have to offer an animal sacrifice because Jesus, the Messiah, lived a perfect life, died as a sacrifice for our sin, and his shed blood cleanses us from sin and enables us to move into the presence of God anywhere our two feet are standing because we actually, our hearts, become God's sanctuary. And it's it's just a, a wonderful thing to understand that the Lord can forgive us and enable us to be in his presence wherever we are. Isn't that great? One of the greatest challenges the Jewish people have faced over the centuries is how to preserve our heritage while looking forward to the future. And that sums up the goal of Chosen People Ministries. We believe with all our hearts that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel, and that the simple message of His death and resurrection has the power to transform the lives of Jewish people and Gentiles all over the world. And we'd love for you to partner with us. With your prayers and financial donations, we will keep proclaiming the gospel until we see him face to face. Learn more online at chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com radio. Or call 888-293-7482. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, I've really enjoyed the conversation so far, but I'm curious, do you have anything else to add about the the Torah portion that we've talked about? Oh, my, Bobby, there's so much to add. We won't even get to the Haftorah portion about moving the ark in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through chapter 7, verse 17, which is a stunning story of what happens when you're disobedient. And God brings judgment, even though sometimes you might even have some good intentions. But if you don't do things in the right way, then God is still obligated by his holiness to bring judgment. But I wanted to just make a quick comment because a lot of believers are a little confused sometimes about the laws of kosher. And uh, I was raised in a very Jewish home in New York City, as some of you know, and we were modern Orthodox. And up until a certain age, my mother kept a completely kosher home. And so we never ate the good stuff, no bacon, no lobster, you know, no shrimp, and definitely no mussels. And so the Bible does outline the difference between clean and unclean. 
Some people think it's for health reasons, and certainly some of the foods that are listed are kind of bottom feeders. And so there is that issue of cleanliness, and of course, pork, if it's not cooked, you can get pretty sick. So there is the health reasons for doing it, but that's not really the primary reason, I think, that God gave us the kosher laws. There are a lot of very visible ways that God wanted to keep his chosen people distinct from the nations of the world. One of the ways was how we worship, what we offer, but another way was how we eat. And so God gave us a list of what's good to eat and what's not good to eat, and you can find and argue reasons on both sides, and various cultures do. But Jewish people keep kosher as a way of expressing their covenant faithfulness with God. Now, a lot of secular Jewish people don't keep kosher, but I don't think most Jewish people would just sit down to a big ham on Christmas Day, but of course, it wouldn't be Christmas Day for a Jewish person anyway. It would be Hanukkah. I remember once walking into my uh, stepbrother's home, and there on the table was this, what should have been a big turkey, because we were used to Hanukkah dinner being, you know, the Festival of Lights being turkey. And we looked at it, and it looked like a strange turkey, and a bunch of us asked, what, what is that? He says, you know, I'm not sure. I think it's a ham. And we all, you know, including some of my very secular family members, looked in horror and said, you're serving a ham? He said, well, you know, somebody gave it to me at work, and it's, you know, it's a very expensive gift. And so I thought, you know, we would eat it, and I would tell them how much we liked it. Of course, then the rumblings, I'm not eating the ham. I'm not eating the ham. <laughs> and, of course, in a sense, none of them really kept kosher. But in many ways, eating unkosher food is viewed as disloyalty to the Jewish community and even disloyalty to God. Hmm. So eating kosher food as opposed to unkosher food is almost a sign of covenant faithfulness for a Jewish person, even if they're not really clear on who the God is who gave the kosher laws. My grandmother, for example, was so kosher that my grandmother never ate in our house. My grandmother would come from Brooklyn to our home in Queens, and she'd bring a paper bag full of her own food <laughs> because she didn't, even though we kept kosher, it wasn't kosher enough for my grandmother, you know. But again, People are raised that way to see keeping kosher as something that is sort of like loving Israel and being a Zionist and, and uh, looking for the uh, well-being of the Jewish community. It's almost a sign of cultural covenant faithfulness. For the religious Jewish people, it's simple. It's a matter of obedience to the Torah. And uh, most Jewish people, even secular Jewish people, have a high respect for those religious Jewish people that, that eat kosher. So I would say uh, to all of you, uh, are Gentiles obligated to keep kosher? I would say no. Are Jewish believers in Jesus obligated to keep kosher? I would say not really because God has fulfilled those cleansing elements through the person of his son. But do a lot of Jewish believers and Jewish people keep kosher at least in one sense or another? Yeah, we do. Why do we do it? Well, some of us don't know why we do it, but it's a better cultural fit to stay away from some of these things. So if you want to join us in keeping kosher, well, the rabbis say we shouldn't even mix milk and meat. So if you want to keep kosher, ham and cheese sandwiches, are they're just out, you know. So think twice before you make the commitment if you like ham and cheese. Bobby, I think that the New Testament portion, again, reiterates 
and affirms uh, the importance and the beauty of having someone who stands in the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. Yeah, I agree, Mitch. Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 19, it's the focus of the New Testament portion this week. And again, what's on display in that passage is looking at this this unique figure, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, from the Torah, from the book of Genesis, and how this priesthood of Melchizedek is laid out, it's referred to in Psalm 110, and how Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, essentially embodies the fulfillment of what Melchizedek pointed to. No reincarnation, Bobby, right? Uh, well, you know, that's debated, but uh, I doubt it. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. It, it's strange fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Beware. Good point. But, you know, th- this points to, uh, I think, a bigger principle that I just love about looking at passages like this, whether it's in Leviticus or whether it's in, uh, in the writings or the prophets and finding and unearthing how so much of it points forward to the person and ministry of Jesus and what he's done for us. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about this exclusive path to God and and this ministry of the priesthood and this ministry even of the substitute, the sacrifice, and all of these things. And and even the, the ministry of keeping kosher and actively identifying and separating between that which God calls clean and that which God calls unclean, even on your table on what you eat. And all of these things point forward to Jesus himself. So what is laid out before us today? Well, we have the the perfect high priest who made intercession for us. And not only that, he's also the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, who according to God's plan and according to God's will and God's instructions, laid down his life as a sacrifice on our behalf so that we can be cleansed, so that we can be set free, so that we can be clean and no longer unclean and so that we can be in God's presence. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for being with us. Our lesson today was on the book of Leviticus, and if you've missed the first two messages in this brand new study, you can listen online at chosenpeople.com radio. And while you're on our website, be sure to request your free copy of our book, The Gospel in the Passover. You're going to love it. Passover is a powerful reminder of God's provision for our lives, and Jesus is that provision. We've talked about him as the sacrifice. Well, he's the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on our behalf. He's the Passover Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And we'd love to send you this amazing resource to help you celebrate a Passover acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. That will be special and unique for your family this year. It's free by calling 888-2-YESHUA. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A, the Hebrew name for Jesus. That number is 888-293-7482. And request your book, The Gospel in the Passover. It's a couple hundred pages of well-crafted Uh, chapters that will even help you understand how to share the gospel with a Jewish person through the Passover. It also has recipes, don't forget those, and a little liturgy to help you follow the Passover event in your home. So remember to order it online at chosenpeople.com slash offer. You can also reach out and ask for the book by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. And now, once again, here's Mitch with Michael Rydelnik 
to wrap up today's message with the ironic benediction. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.